0: Our scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But God was given, but God, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. This is the third message in our, our series of messages called Strengthening Our Core, where we're looking at, at six core values that we would like to see more and more characterize our lives and our ministry as a church. And so today, the core value that we're looking at is growing together. There's a, a summary uh, of this core value that's printed at the top of the, the outline in your worship guide, if, you, if you're interested in following along uh, with the message this morning, there's a, there's an outline on page five, and at the top of that is a little, little couple of sentence paragraph there that, that summarizes kind of what we're thinking of when we talk about this, this core value of growing together. What, what you'll see is that growing together is not just simply one concept. It's not, you might look at that and say, okay, you sure, he's talking about growing in unity. And that's part of it. That, that's half of it. But the other part of it is growing. And so we're, we're talking about unity, but we're also talking about maturity. And so the sense is that we are growing toward maturity together, implying unity. And, and I believe that what Paul says to us in our, in our passage is that you really can't have one without the other. They go together. One of the ways that you'll know that you're growing in maturity is that unity is growing. So, so they, they really do feed on each other and they work together to produce Maturity in our lives, and so uh, as you as you think about this passage as a whole, verses one through sixteen, there really is a a progression, I believe, in in Paul's thinking about this. And I'm and as I summarize his progression, I'm I'm leaning uh, a little bit on Tim Keller in, in the way that he describes this flow. For us. But it's really a, <clears throat> what I've given you is a sentence in your outline. It, it, I know it looks like three points, and usually when you have three points, they're separate points. They're either three different sentences, or three different phrases, or three different words, or ideas. And in this case, all three points are really just one sentence. And, and so the sentence goes like this Even though God Himself lives in us, we will continue in immaturity until we are unified as Christ's body. Let me say that again for you. Even though God himself lives in us, we will continue in immaturity until we are unified as Christ's body. The first the first point is, is the first part. Even though God himself lives in us. Similar to what, what Paul did in our passage last week in Romans chapter 12, Paul refers to us as a body. We are, we are many parts of one body. And, and he also, in this particular part, uh, in this section of Scripture, he, he says that Christ is the head of that body. He says that in verse 15. But, but he's going he's gonna to describe this body this way in verses 4 through 6. He says, There's one body, one spirit. Just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. In other words, what, what he's saying here is that in, in the midst of, of all these other things that unify us, he's, he's got a list of things that unify us here, but he says there's one Spirit. The Holy Spirit. He says there is one Lord. That would be, that would be Jesus. And then he says, there's one God and Father of us all. That's God the Father. So if you think about what Paul is saying here, he's saying that the triune God lives in us. The God of the universe lives in us. And what that means then is that Christianity cannot just be oversimplified into saying that Christianity is how we behave. Or, or how we, we live our life. Or what we believe. It's more than that. Christianity is, is the idea that through faith in Christ, the triune God takes up residence in our lives and He makes us new creatures. That's a whole lot deeper. That's a whole lot bigger than just saying, oh yeah, it's what I believe. Oh yeah, it's how I behave. It's I am new. And the God who made us lives in us. Now think about this. If the same God lives in each of us who are followers of Christ, and we have the same faith and the same baptism and the same hope, then shouldn't this then be an incredible recipe for unity for us? Well, guess what? It is. It is a recipe for unity for us. But the challenge is that it's not magic. It's not automatic. Now, those of you who cook, you know, and I don't include myself in this little category here, but those of you who do cook, you know that you can't just take all the ingredients and dump them in a bowl. There's a process in a recipe. Well, there's also a process for, for this recipe of unifying us as Christ's body. And, and Paul, Paul alludes to this in, in a little bit later in the, in the Scripture, but let me, let me go ahead and, and, and give you a hint for what it is. If we are new creatures that, that God is dwelling in by, by His Spirit... We're new. When was the last time you saw a new human? You know what they look like, don't you? They're really tiny. They're really dependent. They're really needy. And they're not very mature. Listen to what what Paul says in verse 14. He's, He's describing how how we're called to unity and we're called to maturity. And he's saying in verse 14 when you get there, when you when you get to this place of unity and maturity, he starts to describe what we will be like. And one of the things that he says we will be like is he says you will no longer I'm correct, I'm going to correct myself. He says we will no longer be children. I think actually what he says is we will no longer be infants, perhaps even newborns. We will no longer be children. The implication is that even though the God of the universe lives in us, until, until we get there, we will continue to be immature. That's the second point and notice here that that Paul and this is maybe this isn't isn't so impressive to you but it's very impressive to me and that is that Paul includes himself in this description he does not say so that you know I'm the apostle I'm speaking to you who are who are less mature than me so that you will no longer be children he says so that we will no longer be children i realize that that if you come to ep you may you may come to EP, and and the name of EP may or may not hold a lot of freight for you. We're a Presbyterian church, and I've you know I've been in this church for for quite a while, and I've I've heard people jokingly call this EP Baptist Church because even though we're Presbyterian, we have people um, who believe in the Lord who come from all kinds of different backgrounds, and 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 that's wonderful. We we actually love that that's the case. But we are a Presbyterian church, and and you may not know this about Presbyterians, but Presbyterians tend to have a very high view of Paul. Because we Presbyterians tend to appreciate discussions about theology and doctrine. And if you read Paul, in a lot of Paul's letters, Paul talks a lot about theology In fact, I've heard it it said that if you want Christianity 101, then read the Gospels. But if you want Christianity 201 or Christianity 301, in other words, you want to go deeper, then you read Paul because Paul tends to to be kind of deep. So we we have this affinity for Paul. And so the argument could be made here that, that Paul, as an apostle, would have been exempt. You know, he could have exempted himself from this, this characterization. He could, have, he could have said, well, I'm the apostle and I'm speaking to you who are less mature. But when you get to maturity like me, you will no longer be like children. But that's not what Paul does. He doesn't exempt himself. He includes himself in this characterization of being like children. And what I'm suggesting to you and to me is that if Paul can include himself among the immature, then certainly you and I ought to as well. We ought to be willing to humble ourselves and accept Paul's characterization that we are like infants. A couple of reasons why I think we ought to do that. One one thing is it's, it's the humble approach to take. It just is. Isn't it arrogant to say, I'm mature? I don't need what you all need. That, that would just be arrogant. So so it's, it's the humble response to have. Secondly, I think it puts us in, in a place that is more conducive to grow. Think about this. If you view yourself as being mature, then who are you going to learn from? You're probably only going to then look around for the people who are more mature than me which there aren't many. You can just hear the arrogance in my voice, can't you? You know, I mean, who, who are you going to learn from if you consider yourself to be mature? You're only going to be looking for the people who know more than you or who are more mature than you. And you're probably not thinking that there are many of those around. And so you tend to look at, at, at the vast majority of the people who make up the body of Christ and you say, I have nothing to learn from them. How arrogant is that? The truth is, That you and I have something to learn from every single person in this room. Whether they've been Christians for 22 years or two years or two days, we can learn. And we can learn from those who are younger than us. We can learn from those who, who are in elementary school or in middle school or high school or even younger. And so this, this acceptance of Paul's characterization that we are like children puts us in a place that's conducive for learning. The third reason that I would suggest that we ought to accept Paul's characterization is frankly that it's true. It is. It's true. About a year and a half ago, we as a church took an inventory. Some of you will remember this. We we asked everybody who, who calls EP Church their home church, um, or who, who attends here on, on a somewhat regular basis to participate in a survey. It was an inventory. It was called the Congregational Assessment Tool. We call it the CAT as an acronym. And so um, we we took the CAT, and there were a number of questions, but two of the questions that were a part of this assessment really stood out to me and I know they stood out to others as well it's not so much the questions that stood out it was the result the way we answered the question that that stood out the first question that that stood out that I'm I'm thinking of is that there was a question that asked each of us how satisfied are you with your spiritual maturity well how, how do you think how do you think we evaluated ourselves as a church Well, let me give you a hint. Not just pretty high. We graded ourselves higher than 90% of all the other churches that had ever taken that inventory. we, We were working with a consultant... And and the consultant was was using this. We we got to customize a few of the questions, but this was not one of the customized questions. This was the question that they ask every church that they do this inventory with. And we graded ourselves higher than 90% of all the rest of them. We gave ourselves an A. There's another question where where the result kind of stands out, and that is the, the question that asked us, How satisfied are you with how welcoming and caring and hospitable our church is? And we basically gave ourselves a D. Which, I applaud that. It's honest, right? It's kind of hard to give yourself a D if you're being honest. Because it reflects back on us. So here's here's my follow-up question. How spiritually mature can you be when we're not very welcoming or caring or hospitable? Listen, I love our church. I I know Pastor Bruce loves our church. Our staff loves our church. Our elders love our church. Our deacons love our church. Our church is us. We love you. So I'm not, I'm not trying to, as the kids say, throw shade on our congregation. But I think, I think we need to acknowledge that we are likely not as mature as we like to think we are. And and it's okay to say it. It's okay to admit that. That we still have a need to grow in our walk with Christ. In our relationship with Christ. The same way that infants do. So that, number three, we might be unified as Christ's body. There's an odd phrase in verse thirteen. I know I'm skipping around a lot here, but there's a, there's an odd phrase in verse thirteen. You may have picked up on it when I read it. Paul is is you know describing what what we, he hopes we will become like, and one of the things he says is that that we would that we would grow to mature manhood. And I'm not saying that's that's a bad translation, I, but but I. I just want to clarify that I think, I think what he's literally saying is that we would grow to, to a full-grown man. And the reason I'm, I'm emphasizing this is because in our society today, when you, anytime you talk about manhood, that has all kinds of connotations. I mean, it, 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 we, we start to think about, oh, this is what, we're talking about what it means to be a real man. Or we're talking about what it means to be masculine somehow. Paul isn't saying anything like that. He's not talking about manhood or masculinity or anything like that at all. What he's, what he's saying is that, that, that as we, the body of Christ, grow toward maturity, then we grow in unity. We become a mature unit. Hence, we, we become a full-grown man. It's the same kind of idea that we often we refer to it when we talk about a husband and a wife who come together and become married. We say that that the two become one, and I think that's what Paul is saying to us. We we go from functioning like a whole bunch of individuals to functioning like one mature person, one grown up. Listen to some of the other ways that that he describes this kind of maturity. In verses 2 and 3, he just gives us a whole litany of of descriptors. They're they're almost the fruit of the Spirit. Um, But so he says, he talks about humility, that we would grow in humility. Humility is not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Putting other people first. He talks about gentleness. Gentleness is... And I don't want to oversimplify, but generally speaking, gentleness is being strong but having control, strength under control. You know, individually, we have a lot of strengths, but sometimes if you just go around wielding your strength, you're going to hurt somebody. So gentleness requires that we take our strengths and we bring them under control so that they're helpful. Patience. Patience means that we can wait a long time without becoming frustrated or angry and hurting somebody bearing with one another in love that's helping others carry heavy burdens lovingly eager to maintain unity and peace he talks about I think that's pretty self-evident it's a desire it's an eagerness. To be unified, to to be at peace with one another, and then if you jump down to verses thirteen and fifteen, thirteen through fifteen, he he once again is describing what this kind of maturity looks like, and so he he gives these these descriptions. He says that we would we would have a unity in faith and in knowledge, meaning that we would be grounded with a solid foundation in both our understanding, which is our knowledge. But not just our knowledge, but also in our trust in the one whom this knowledge is about. That's, that's faith. See, it's, it's, it's not just saying, I know information, but it's, I know that information, and therefore I put my faith in the one that this information is about. It's a relationship. He talks about no longer being tossed to and fro by waves. Implying that, that we would be stable. That we would be stable in, in, our, in, our, in our beliefs. We would be stable in our, in our lives. Think about this. Toddlers are very often not very stable. They kind of, you know, toddle around, you know, and they, and they fall down very easily because they're not very stable. They're easily knocked off balance. Paul envisions us as we grow to maturity and in unity that we would not be easily knocked over. That there would be a a stability about us because we know who we are in Christ. We know that God loves us. We know that we belong to Him. And so all the other circumstances of this life don't have the power anymore to knock us off balance. He describes that we would not be carried off by the winds of doctrine. In other words, that we would be discerning about truth. We would know the truth well enough that when other people come along and and begin to teach things or say things that sound plausible but are not biblical, we would be able to discern the difference. That's part of being mature, that we would be able to discern what is true from what is not true. Toddlers are not very discerning. Toddlers will put almost anything in their mouth. Have you noticed that? doesn't matter if it's food or a toy or poison. They don't have the ability to discern that. Paul says we need to be able to discern what is true. Paul says that we would not be carried off by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Human cunning is is talking about manipulation. There are people who would manipulate us. And that could be as innocuous as, as a commercial that's, that's trying to, to say that all the cool people shop over here to something that could be much more malicious like the person who's trying to steal your identity and all kinds of stuff in between. But then he, the, these references though to craftiness and deceitfulness, I think that's a little different. When you hear the words crafty and deceitful in the scripture, maybe these words come up occasionally in scripture, who are they typically describing? They're typically describing Satan. They're typically referring to the enemy. And I think that's what Paul is doing here. He's using these words because as far as I can see, anytime these words ever come up in scripture, they're almost all they're, they're always talking about Satan. And I think Paul is trying to get us to be mindful of the fact that there is an enemy. And the enemy is a deceiver, and the enemy is an accuser. And the enemy is the one who would come along and say things like this. And you may not have ever heard this audibly, but I guarantee you, you have heard things like this in your own mind. You've heard things like this. Look at you. No one could ever love you. You know, when you think about all you've done, if if, if the other people in this room just caught a glimpse of who you really are and what you've done, they would never accept you. They would never want you to be here. You call yourself a Christian, and yet look where you were last night. Look what you were doing yesterday. Look what you did last week. How can you be a Christian and do that? How could God love you if you do that? No one could ever love you. You're not lovely. You're not attractive. There's not. You've all heard that before. That's the deceit. That's the craftiness. Lies and deception. Which is why Paul offers us a positive alternative. In verses 15 and 16, listen to what he says. He says, Instead, or rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You know, part of the craftiness, part of the deceitfulness is the idea that some of us are less broken than others. And and that the kind of the, the inverse or the converse, I'm not not good at math, but some of us are also then therefore more lovely than others. That's a belief that, that you and I often have. I know doctrinally we don't believe it, but as soon as we set our doctrine off to the side and we begin to have relationships and we begin to live our life, it is very easy for us to believe and to act as if some of us some of us are, are less broken than others, and others of us are more lovely than than others some of us are more deserving of grace than others and i want to tell you paul wants to tell us that that is a lie those are all lies because the truth is that we're all broken now we may not all be broken in exactly the same way but we are no less broken some of us are are broken physically Some of us suffer from an illness. Some of us have suffered injuries. Some of us may have some disability where part of our body doesn't work properly. Some of us are broken emotionally, maybe from a wound, maybe from a loss, maybe from discouragement. Some of us are broken psychologically where... We may not process things accurately. We may feel depressed. We may deal with anxiety or some form of addiction. Some of us feel broken socially where we just feel alone or we feel like we just don't fit. You put us in a big group of people and we say, I don't belong here. We're all prone to be selfish. We're all prone to pride. We're all prone to the pursuit of pleasure or to the avoidance of pain and discomfort. And there are all kinds of other ways that we may feel broken. I'm not not trying to give us an exhaustive list of the ways that we feel broken. I'm just trying to say the list is almost endless for the possible ways that, that our brokenness shows up. But we're all broken. And the gospel truths that we need to keep in focus are that and, and this is kind of a, a kind of a backdoor way to understand our, the grace that we have, but that because we're all broken, I am neither more worthy of love than any of you, nor am I less worthy of love than any of you. Think about that. There's no room for arrogance here, nor is there any room for, for self-hate or self-loathing. Because no one here is better or more deserving of grace than anyone else. And no one here is less deserving of God's grace than anyone else. And because of who Christ is, and because of what Christ has done for us, you and I are recipients of an incredible gift. None of us could have ever earned it. And it's the love and the acceptance and the delight of the God of the universe who made us and loves us. We have that in Christ. Not because we've worked for it. Not because we've deserved it. Not because anybody is anybody better than anyone else. We're all equally broken and recipients of grace. So as fellow sinners, I know we don't we're not, that's not necessarily a label that you, you might be proud of, but we can rally around that. We are fellow sinners and we are fellow recipients of God's amazing grace, and therefore we can be both honest about who we are and we can know and we can be loving toward one another. you see how they go together? It's the only way they go together. See, typically, when you're honest, you know you've probably figured this out already, but you kind of need to brace yourself. Anybody says, "Well, you know, I'm going to be honest with you," look out, because you know that love—the door to love just got kind of closed a little bit, and now you're going to get it. But but that's not the way it works here. It's it's honesty and love go together because I'm being truthful because I love you, and therefore I can deliver that truth in a gentle and patient and kind and humble way. And I can be honest about myself because I know that there's grace around me. At least that's what Paul envisions. Truth and love can go together. Honesty and grace can go together. Now, listen. This all sounds great, doesn't it? But here's where, where it starts to get hard, at least in my experience. What 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 in my in my experience and in, in, in my mind what tends to happen next is is that it's one thing to talk about truth and love, honesty and grace together, and it's another thing to actually come together in relationships where truth and love coexist, where we feel love even in the face of truth. It's really something that, that has to happen in relationships. And, and and because of that, it's very hard, I would argue actually impossible, to have a program for it. You know, I, I'd love, I mean, I, I think this would be wonderful, but we're not doing it. But it would be wonderful if we could say, in response to our sermon today, we're launching a new initiative. It's called the Truth and Love Program. And you can sign up for it by going in the EP Church app. We don't have that. Because living in relationships where we... Are where we have truth and love and, and, and honesty and grace together, that's not a program. Those, those are relationships, and, and, and that's very hard to do. And, and the, the, the difficulty, too, is that for many of us, we haven't done this enough to be very good at it. How do you get good at something that you haven't done very much? You just kind of have to do it. Another thing that makes it hard is that we, in in responding in love to those who are hurting, that's not something that comes very naturally to a lot of us. Think about that. When when, when you come into contact with somebody who's hurting, what do you tend to do? Some of us tend to say nothing because we don't know what to say. And so by saying nothing, we don't care for people. Or others of us say, well, I'm not going to say nothing. I'm going to say something, but I, I don't really know what to say. So we just kind of say whatever comes out. And as well-meaning as it is, sometimes it's not that helpful. So how do we learn how to do this truth and love? How do we, do, how do we learn how to, to build relationships around honesty and grace? Well, honestly, I, I'm, not, I'm not totally sure. And I don't think we, as as leaders in the church, are totally sure. We know we want to get better, but we're we're not sure how to how to give you seven steps to do it. Here is what we do have: we have a friend, we have a brother, and a pastor who is hurting. Those of you who were around for the two or three weeks before Pastor Bruce went on vacation, you heard some of the things that he shared in the context of of a couple of his messages. And you heard about how he, almost out of left field in many ways, is is coming face-to-face and processing some very difficult wounds that he sustained as part of his upbringing, as part of a family with an abusive stepfather. And and we, I know from conversations with many of you, that we, we felt that that is co- tremendously courageous of him to share that. We applauded. Do you, you remember? And it was very transparent of him. And we may hear that and think, Oh, that's wonderful that Bruce is, is processing this. That's a victory for him. Well, you know what? The reality is, it's probably not time yet to declare victory for him because in some ways... It's the beginning. It's not the end of a of a hard journey. It's it's more likely the beginning of of processing some some heavy things. And so, through some some interactions that that have not been all that easy for for him, uh, with the elders, we have the elders are are slowly kind of coming to grips with with getting our arms around and understanding some of the things that Bruce is dealing with. And we know this. We know we love him. And we know that he loves us. And we know that he loves our church. And so we want to care for him. We want to support him. And, and, and help him to, to get into situations that will be helpful for him so that he can continue to, to do this heavy lifting and to process some of this difficulty. We want to support he and Kathy as they, as they do this. And so uh, we're not completely sure what all of that looks like. We don't have, you know It's like we don't have a plan for truth and love. Well, we haven't yet quite finalized any kind of a plan for, for how to, to care for and support Bruce through this either. But we, what we have done is we've, we've identified a team of four of our elders together with a pastor, not, not one of our pastors, but a pastor from another church in our presbytery that are sitting down with Bruce and trying to help, uh, help not only understand what he's processing, but, but also try to come up with some ways to support and care and, and, and encourage him and, and Kathy in that. We don't know exactly what that's going to look like yet. As soon as we do, we will make you aware of that too. But there are two things that we do know, two decisions that, that we have made in this last week. One of them is that at least for the next three weeks, Bruce is not going to have the responsibility of writing and delivering sermons. Uh, you know that, that I've, I've already now delivered the first three uh, messages in this series on core values. Over the next few weeks, Pastor Greg will also come and, and, uh, and deliver some of these messages as well, because we're a team. Um, so, so for the next three weeks, at least, until we we know more, until till the team of elders and and this pastor come up with some suggested ways to 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 better put put something in place. Um, Bruce is not going to have that responsibility. Um, the second thing that that we w- want you to be aware of, and, and it will affect you very directly. Um, although it's not as costly to you this morning as it is to the people who worship at 8 o'clock and 11 o'clock. Next week, we would like for EP Church to worship as one unified church. We want to invite the 8 o'clock service folks. We want to invite the 11 o'clock service folks to join you right here at 915, right here in the sanctuary. I know you might say, well, good grief, how's everybody going to fit? You know, the reality is the majority of this room is air, right? Lots of air between you. Next week, we might be a little snug. We may become a little more intimate. In fact, that's probably a good goal. But we're going to figure out a way to make it work. We'll probably have some people sitting up here in the choir loft and we may, you know, figure out a way to get some additional seats or something like that. But we're going to do it. Um, but we want to come together as one unified church to worship together, to pray together. We certainly want to pray for, for Bruce. But we're also mindful of the fact that Bruce is not the other one who's hurting, only one who's hurting. We have other people in the church who hurt as well. And so, so we're trying to figure out a way that we can not only pray for Bruce and for our church, but to pray for some of you as well. And so we're, we're gonna try to figure out how to, how to do that. We wanna celebrate communion together. You know, usually we celebrate communion the first Sunday of every month, and it's great, but we do it in three different services. We want to have everybody in the same room together at EP Church and celebrate the Lord's Table together. Um, so, so we invite you next week to, to come back to be a part of that, that time together. Um, and and, uh, and, and, and they go, what goes with that is that we're, our Sunday school classes next week will be canceled. There won't be an eleven o'clock. There won't be an eight o'clock service. There won't be an eleven o'clock service, and we won't have Sunday school. Um, We will have childcare for our infants and toddlers and our preschoolers up through up up to, but not including kindergarten. Um, But everything else will just be in here. And so um, we hope that you'll join us for that. I, I just want to say this too about Bruce. Bruce is not going off in a corner to process this stuff by himself. Okay, he's here. He's with us. The last thing we want is for him to feel disconnected from us and for us to feel disconnected from him. He's not fragile. Okay? I know it's probably difficult for him the longer I talk about this, you know, and he's in the room and, and because he doesn't like that kind of attention. But once I'm done talking about this, it is not the case that you should not talk to him or that you should not go over and hug him or you should not, you know, shake. That's not the case at all. He's human. He's still Bruce. He still loves you. We still love him. That has not changed. So so we just want to walk forward saying, Lord, show us what each step looks like because we don't know how to make a plan way, way, way out ahead. Uh, and that's not a bad place to be either because God can lead us that way. So I know I've run us over. Thank you for your patience with me. Um, I want to pray for us and, and as we move toward closing here today. Lord, we do thank you that you have made us to be a body. We're your family, but we're your body. You live in us by your spirit. And that is an incredible recipe for unity. It's also an incredible recipe for unity to know that we're all broken. We're not. None of us are more broken. None of us are less broken. We're all broken. And we are all desperately in need of what you have given us in Christ. Unconditional love and acceptance. And the freedom to be honest before you and before one another with who we really are. Not that you're going to leave us where we are. But to come as we are, to know that you love us. I pray that you would help us in turn to love each other. That more and more, our church would be a warm place, a welcoming place, a loving and caring place. Because we all need that. We all need love and care. Because none of us is quite mature to the place that you've called us to be. So help us to come humbly, recognizing that we are children and we want to grow and we want to grow together. Knit us together as your body under one head, Christ. May he be glorified in our lives, we pray. And, and Lord, I pray for, for Bruce. I thank you for, for where you have us, where you have him. I know it's not easy and it's not easy to know what, what the next steps look like but we pray that you would give us wisdom and we pray most of all that that you would remind bruce and remind all of us of your great love for us in christ and that we might support him pray for him care for him even as we care for one another and so we 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 ask you to, to lead us today and every day in jesus name amen